welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Good morning, it's Jessica, and I'm so glad to be with you for another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Today I have a really special one. I originally heard about my guest, Corey Sulkert, on the Today Show when they did a segment on her about her amazing job that she's created for herself of adopting foster children, especially, specifically, foster babies who are in hospice care and either have life-threatening or different disabilities that would impact their quality of life. She is super passionate about giving these babies and these children the best quality of life possible, regardless of how long they're going to live. And so in addition to her own huge brood of children, I think she has eight kids, (laughs) she also has taken in countless foster kids and given them a loving home and supported them through medical challenges and emotional challenges. And she is amazing. She is nothing short of extraordinary. So I can't wait to share with you my conversation with Corey to hear how she got into this, why she feels compelled to care for these hospice babies, and how it has changed her life. Let's get to it with Corey. All right, I want to welcome Corey Salkert. Hi, Corey. Hi there. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. Oh, great. Where am I speaking to you from today? Um, I live in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. I think Sheboygan is the best word ever. <laughs> I think it's so fun to say. Yeah, it's spelled pretty much just like it sounds. It is. It is. That's so fun. Well, I am so honored to talk to you today. I originally heard about you on the Today Show, and after I saw that piece, I thought, I have to talk to her on the show. I think what you're doing is amazing. So for people that may not be familiar, will you just give a little background on yourself and your family? Uh, Well, our family, I think what it was that ended up being on uh, the Today Show was uh, that we do medical treatment, foster care, and adoption. And so we we take in kiddos with a terminal diagnosis uh, that it's not necessarily that, the, that they will have a normal lifetime, but typically they're, they're difficult to place simply because their medical needs are are great and the fact that their terminal is um, is off-putting for most folks and for us I have a background in hospice uh, adults as well as uh, babies and children and it was a natural thing for us to pick up and start doing that here at home and we do not have I don't have patient after patient after patient like I did when I worked at the hospital but instead we just kind of do this one or two kiddos at a time and we take them in and actually just provide for them as part of our family instead of just having um, them as a patient where I would see them an hour a day or something like that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It is so amazing. And we're going to dive deeper into the kiddos you've cared for and what that's been like for you. But you also have a large biological family as well. Will you tell me about your early motherhood days and your motherhood journey bringing your own family to fruition? Uh, well, I had 
this woman walk up to me at church one time and she says, oh, you're the one with all the kids. And I said, no, I only have six. <laughs> only? <laughs> and, and she laughed. And then we had two more biological children. So then I only had eight. Yes. Uh, and my eldest is going to be 28 this month. And then my baby is 15. So we've got him ranged. I was very efficient there. Yeah. Twelve and a half years. We had those eight children. And I was pregnant or nursing for about 16 years, and uh, so, yeah, that was a little hairy. I think that the baby was four before my husband finally said, look, you can hang up the diaper bag. It doesn't have to be a person any longer. Right, right. You get get used to throwing uh, everything in the big bag, right? You're like, it's my (laughs) catch-all. And I actually am kind of back in the mode of a diaper bag. (laughs) It just is very handy to carry your purse stuff. And the diapers and everything else that you need. Now, Charlie is much more complicated than just a simple diaper bag. But uh, those early days of having my kids, oh, my goodness, I learned so much. And that has helped me now in not so much sweating the small stuff and not being frustrated with how mundane things can be. That, you know, you get up and you, you do the same thing day in and day out. And it doesn't feel like you're really getting anywhere. But... It was just yesterday that my eldest daughter was two, and she's 28 now. So it's uh, those days have gone by, and one of the hardest things, I think, for a mom is that you do a lot of laundry and a lot of dishes and a lot of diapers, and it doesn't necessarily seem like it's that big a deal. However, now that we take in these kiddos, that all they get is that custodial care at the hospital, but they don't necessarily have um, a mom and they don't have a dad and somebody taking care of them. Oh, all those custodial things are so important and, um, and doing them because you love your child as opposed mm-hmm. to it's just a task assigned um, makes all the difference. Yeah, and it is true. Like anybody can diaper a baby. Anybody can put a baby to sleep. But to do that with love and that intention behind it because you truly care about them it does evoke kind of a different emotion towards them. And I think that they sense that, don't you? Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah. I, I really think that failure to thrive, and I've seen it up close and personal, sure. it makes all the difference to actually have that child in your arms after you have changed their diaper and you have taken care of those needs that they need to have taken care of, but you've done it in such a way that they feel cared for and not sure. just well you know what I finished that now take care of yourself now move along right I've got stuff to do right. yeah no absolutely and so how were you as a mom to one let's go back to when you were just a mom of one little girl right you had your daughter was yes. your first right. what were you like as a mom and was it what you thought it would be what were the best and the hardest parts for you when you just had that one? Oh my goodness, Sarah was a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> Comparatively, had, yeah. <laughs> we had Sarah and my husband work second shift, and I'd load her up in the car in her car seat, and we'd go pick him up from second shift, and we'd go to Perkins and go get waffles at 11 o'clock at night, and she'd sit there and, and what was a car seat back in the olden days when I was a young mom. Um, and nothing like what we have today, but she would sit at the table, and she would just be as happy as all get out, and it was just have baby, we'll travel. And then yeah. I had... My second child, and let's just say that he didn't sleep anywhere but in his bed. So mm-hmm. our life, my life, was sharply curtailed, and we uh, we learned how to <laughs> deal with the fact that he was not the social butterfly that Sarah was, and he needed routine, and he just brought things back to home. And that, I think, was the biggest adjustment, was having the two of them um, 
and not just Sarah for me was just really easy I had done a lot of babysitting and I just was so having her wasn't anything at all but juggling that that second kiddo right. <laughs> was a trip because even if you have to put your own needs aside focusing on the needs of one child you know even if it's tough it's it's manageable but then two competing and often conflicting you know needs of, of little infants and toddlers that can be a real challenge especially when you're tethered to home well, one of the things that with Jonathan was the fact that I don't tolerate dairy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I knew that, but it was hot. It was July. You knew the temperatures were just um, very high. And so I was eating a bowl of ice cream every night. And that poor guy was just miserable. Oh, my goodness, the colic. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea why, you know, Sarah had been so easy. And now all of a sudden I've got this child that every time he goes anywhere near me to nurse, he just was in... He was a miserable, miserable baby, and um, I had no idea why it was that I just couldn't bond with him and couldn't seem to feed him without it being a hassle. And my midwife finally said, you know, are you eating a lot of dairy? And I said, well, I don't really drink milk, but I've been eating a, a lot of ice cream. And she said, I would cut that out and just see whether or not you got a new kid. And within two days, I had a completely different baby. Wow. And um, so that was something that I... I told other moms that you know the kids just don't settle down that just is one simple thing that while you may be putting up with the gas that it causes you they can't do that as well and it was you're not going to be nursing forever so to give up milk right. or ice cream for a little bit is uh <laughs> for me it, it just it's worth that but I did not I, I found myself just looking at this child and thinking I don't know what to do with you and was so grateful that my midwife stepped in and said, I think that you might have a difference here. And, um, it made him more holdable that he was able to relax because he had been, I didn't realize how awful it had been for him until he was just a totally different kid within a couple of days. Yeah, that is amazing. And it's great when you can finally, you know, nail down what it is that's contributing to their fussiness because did you ever feel I mean, guilt at that time, because so many times we think we're doing our best, but if our best is not good enough to make them sleep well or to make them eat well or to make them happy or content, then we feel like we're truly doing something wrong. But sometimes it's not us at all. Well, and you know, in this case, it was it was me. Not right. that I was deliberately trying right. to make him miserable, but I do remember, and it, you know, it still kind of makes me weepy today. My husband looking at me and saying, "You don't really like him very much, do you?" Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's just so frustrating. I cannot make this kid. You know, I, I don't know what else to do. And so I think at that point in time, you know, just my prayer was, God, I don't know what I don't know what else to do differently. I'm not. I'm not really doing anything differently than what I did with Sarah, and she was okay. So, just help me. And you know, it wasn't too long after that that we had a, that appointment with a midwife, and just like you know, he really wasn't gaining weight, and he just his legs were all drawn up, and um, it was a new experience for me because I had pediatric experience, but I'd never had a baby with colic before, and. So to have something tangible that I could do that did make a difference, yeah. um, it was it was something that it can, as a mom, just be overwhelming to think, I'm supposed to be able to comfort you, and for whatever reason, it's just, it's not working, and I was grateful for the fact that that did turn around, but yeah, it was, it was hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is so hard. It's so hard to figure out those little things that 
there's just so many things that could be impacting your baby that it's hard to narrow down what exactly it is. So did you always envision a large family with your husband? Well, let's just say that on our... <laughs> oh boy, here we go. <laughs> we picked out 14 names because we were going to have 14 kids. And I did get, uh, we did have Sarah nine months and about four hours after we got married. So, so yeah, uh, yeah, we were off and running there very quickly. That was not necessarily planned, but that was how it worked out sure. and, um, had wanted to have a large family. And then my body, by the time I had my eighth one had just said, yeah, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's thought. enough. You're, yeah. You're yeah. done. It's a and lot. We have had that many. Um, we've had 14 kids. It's just been now through right. foster care and adoption. But honestly, Emily was 11 before we did any fostering. So I had hung up the diaper bag by the time she was four years old and figured, you know what? I put in my time. I'm, right. <laughs> I'm on to a new season of my life. And that doesn't include having little ones. Right. And so what changed? How did you decide to go down the foster care and adoption path? Okay, well, let's just say that I was never going to do foster care. Okay. I just did not want to sign up for that kind of headache. Are you kidding? You know, you bring these kids home and you invest in them and then they're going to go back to their parents and then they're gone. And that for me was, uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. no, I'm not doing that. However, while I was working, I'm a registered nurse and I was working in hospice uh, for families when their babies died, whether that was while they were still in the womb or afterwards, I realized that there were um, some women faced with a pregnancy, a baby with a fatal fetal anomaly, and that it was just more than they could bear. And um, I had put it out there that, you know, if there was a, if there was a child that mom just couldn't deal afterwards, you knew, to, to walk that child through a natural lifetime and their early passing that I, that I wanted to take them. And I had broached the subject with my husband, oh, shoot, when Johanna was about 16 and she's 23 now, so seven years ago. Okay. Um, and uh, I said, Mark, I said, you know what, we could take these kids in and just give these babies and, and care for them. And he looked at me and he said, you know, we're homeschooling, you're working full-time, I'm working full-time, and we're going to bring this home because, you know, I was dealing day in and day out with families, and and very happy to do that, not happy in a gleeful sort of way, but content, it was my passion. Um, And he said, you know, we just don't need to bring that home, no, we're not going to do this. And, uh, And foster care and adoption... I will say, at least from my perspective, does not work if both parents are not on board. It does not work for a mom to go ahead and push through and, you know what, I want to do this and come hell or high water, we're going to, uh, because it's hard. Mm -hmm. Having children is hard, period. And then if you've got a dad or you've got a mom that is saying, I didn't want to do this anyway, it does not work well. So I bided my time and it's just like, God, you know what, this is a desire of mine to be able to do this. And it was on the back burner for about three years. My own health just hit the fan. I have a number of autoimmune diseases, and they all just flared at the same time. I was just a mess, and I had several surgeries and was completely out of commission and uh, out of work and not able to go back simply because a couple of the surgeries that I had done permanently uh, damaged 
part of my intestinal tract. Wow. So I was sitting there in the summer of 2012 going, okay, I didn't die. And I was okay with doing that, but I didn't die. So, you know, that's it. What, you know, what's, what's next? And just a grieving period over having not continued on with my job, which I love. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was when we had gotten that call in August that there was indeed a baby that had a life limiting prognosis and would we be willing to care for her and take her home? It wasn't just, you know, come in and sit with her for an hour or two. It was no, take her home make her part of your family for however long you have. And it was at that point that, you know, foster care was no longer this entity of, I'm not willing to have my heart broken on your behalf. It was, my heart is going to break, but you're not going to be alone. So I'll deal with it. And uh, my husband was in a totally different place three years later after having walked so close to my almost dying. He was wow. just like, how, you know, how bad can this be? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so he was just like, absolutely. You know what? Bring her home. And uh, so, you know, a couple of days later after we did what we needed to do, uh, we indeed did bring her home and she lived for 50 days. And it was something that, you know what? Okay, you're, you're home. And you're in a position now because you're not working full time outside of the home to be able to care for, you know, a baby or two. It doesn't have to be a lot. I I am not defined by how many children I have. I have no number in mind that I need to have this many or that many. And if I didn't ever do this again, I would be okay. My -hmm. life isn't defined by how many kids I have. It's something that I do and that I do well. And I want to be, you know, the best at it while I can do it. I just know that for this season of my life right now, this is this is what we're doing, and I'm I'm grateful for it. Wow, that is amazing, especially coming off the heels of being in your own health issues and probably feeling like, well, what do I have the energy for? What is my health able to, um, you know, rally around everything? Like this is a big undertaking. Did you kind of question your ability to step up in that way? I mean, you're older than when you had your biological children and I mean, everything's just kind of different and harder. I would imagine the sleeplessness and, and all the to do's. Were you a little bit nervous about that or no? Well, with Emmeline, she was that, the first baby that we brought home. I knew that we were supposed to take her and sort of mm. all of that kind of stuff was going to sort itself out. Sure. Now, at that point in time, let's see, Johanna was 19, Charity was 17, Mary Elizabeth was 15. Um, and I tried to take care of Emmeline like for the first night or two. And then absolutely was dragging during the day because sure. I just don't do well, you know, without getting um, regular sleep my health just doesn't and then I I need to in order to be able to keep things running around here I pretty much need to run from the time I get up in the morning until I crash into bed at eight o'clock nine o'clock at night mm-hmm. um, so we rearranged things with the family that the girls would stay with her at night and that I was just down the hall you know the only thing that they had to do was hey you know I need something they were they were familiar with their with the care now Emmeline did not go anywhere. She wasn't taken. Mm. She was not a normal baby by any means. And one of the, one of the things that I brought up at her funeral was I had been lamenting in the months before 
the lack of zip that I had to get up and be busy and, you know, cleaning and cooking because, you know, I have a big family and there's a lot to do and my kids have had to step up and they have, they have developed a lot of life skills. They know how to do laundry and they know how to cook and they know how to clean. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be 18 and absolutely lost when they move out. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. And they're not necessarily always happy about that. It's not like, you know, they're whistling. They're not Mary Poppins and they can be whining over having to do those chores. But um, the girls needed to uh, step up and like Mary Elizabeth said, you know, it was hard to see her seizing and and feel helpless however we were not hopeless in that and there wasn't despair over it it was just seizing as part of her package mm-hmm. and we've done what we can and now we just hold her until you know that that eases Emmeline needed me still she did not need me busy. So the fact that I was sitting on the couch or I was sitting on the chair or I was laying in bed, she couldn't regulate her temperature very well because of only having the brainstem that was working. So even though it was August and September, uh, she didn't maintain her temp and so needed to be tucked in close to somebody in order to be able to help with that body heat. Mm. So her, my, one of my greatest gifts that I was able to give that child was the ability to be still and to be present, not busy. So wow. physically, my being gimped was actually better for her because it kept me sitting or lying down and her just tucked close to my heart while that was going on. What a beautiful gift. It's like you needed each other. Yeah. That is beautiful, Corey. I love that. And I'm just kind of chuckling in my mind that, like, my kids, like, begrudgingly, like, do toilets and do, you know, clean the floors and things like that. And it's like your girls are up in the middle of the night, like, holding a seizing baby. Like, their awareness and their their to-do list and their chores and the things and the life lessons that you're teaching them go far beyond, like, the normal to-dos. But it's really learning these life lessons about how to have compassion. What a gift that you were able to show them that side of life and that right. side of other people's needs. I think that is beautiful. How did your other children um, react to having – so in addition to these um, – Emmeline and then your newest, Charlie, all these other um, children coming in and out with foster care and adoption, how did your children react to all that and this big change in their family? Um, well, you know, just let's <laughs> let's just say – Whenever I brought uh, a new baby home, I would tell that two-year-old or whatever, I would say, you know, this, this baby is your present. You know, isn't, isn't God good? You know, look at this gift that you've got. And I, they would look at me like, okay, are you kidding me? <laughs> Another one? Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And one of my daughters, bless her heart, she is, she is, uh, she's a hoot, but she did not want to make room on my lap for the next baby to nurse or whatever. And so, you know, the baby was kind of off to the side because charity was planted firmly on my lap because (laughs) I was hers. I don't know who you are, but this is my spot. Yes. Um, And uh, so one of the things that I told my, my child or actually that I told the baby, and this may sound silly, but I would tell the baby, you know what? You need to wait. Because right now, I need to take care of whoever the two-year-old was. And 
instead of the two-year-old always hearing, you need to wait because I have to take care of the baby, I would tell the baby who was completely oblivious, you need to wait while I take care of the two-year-old. And that was just one way that I would kind of help dissipate a little bit of the jealousy factor. Sure. My kids are normal. And, you know, we bring a new a new kid in, and it's kind of like, all right, well, you know, where is this one going to fit? We do babies around here, so it isn't as though they're, they're necessarily competing for attention there. Um, my kids have had to develop a, a sense of compassion mm-hmm. uh, for, for others and not be so me-focused. Right. Um, and... That is not always an easy transition. Just like, you know, you tell them to clean their room. Well, you know, I, I don't want to. Well, I get that. But you know what? You don't even have to want to do this. You just get to. Right. And I'm not telling you, you have to be happy about it. So pressure's off. You can go into your room and you can just be fuming. But you get to clean it anyway. <laughs> you get you to do that. Right? right, yeah. You get to do this. And you don't even have to be happy about it. You know, I'm not telling you that you have to be happy about it. But you get to do it. So just do it. Right. And... And I have told some of my younger ones, it's like, you know what, this is not my first rodeo. And yes, I'm old, but I'm going to win. So do you want to be miserable now for the next several hours or do you just want to do what I told you to do? Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll, I'll say this. My 15-year-old my had said, you know, I don't necessarily... <laughs> I don't necessarily want to take care of the triplets tonight, you know. Yeah. I, I'm they're just not as fun anymore. I'm a little bored. <laughs> it's a, it's a I, lot. It's triplets. And I and I laughed and I said, Well, I appreciate that. But you know, I don't always want to take care of you. It's gotten a little boring. <laughs> You're fifteen, I don't want to do this anymore. But and, and so again I told her, I said, But you know what? You don't even have to like want to, but you get to. So right. Um, you know, we don't just do it because we're feeling excited and, and it's fun. We just do it because it's what needs to be done. And I'm hoping that your attitude is going to be great, but it's okay if it's not. You still get to do it. Sure. And so these are these are things like with these babies. Ed, we had triplets for almost a year. Wow. Um, and we they came when they were seven months and they left when they were 18 months. And oh my goodness, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was very... Wow, and Busy. I had thought having one child, you know, and I'm 51 now, so it was just, um, it was, it was quite exciting. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't do normal, you know, right. and these guys were like normal. So my kids, while they might be emotionally or mentally taxing, physically, I mean, Charlie doesn't go anywhere that I right. don't take him. But these boys were normal, and they were very busy. Um, but it was a, it was a good, a good life thing for all involved my 21 year old could get all of them fed and changed and in their car seats and loaded up in the van and then she would take them and like drive with them to be able to get her siblings wherever they had to go and for 45 minutes those boys were contained in those car seats and they were good travelers but I I wouldn't necessarily even need to help her and she could have one on her hip and two hanging on her legs and still make supper. I mean, what 21-year-old is wow. able to juggle three, you know, toddlers and and do it with just, like, it was nothing. So she, oh, she scads ahead of, of me at that wow. age. 
And having one child is going to be such a snap. <laughs> right. And you just must be so proud of your kids, seeing them step up like that and develop those skills and whether they came naturally or whether they were learned. That just must bring so much mama bear pride from you. It, it, it does. Um, it is something that, again, it's not necessarily a hugely cheerful process to begin sure. with. Yeah. But it's a it's a good one and I've just had to stay steady that you know what I know that this is in your best interest and so I will put up with the right. over, <laughs> I don't want to do this simply because I know it's a good thing and someday you're going to have your own kids and oh, oh this is okay so my 16 year old son <laughs> bless <laughs> his heart I had all the boys outside and I had taken their diapers off because they were dealing with diaper rash because of all the teething so they were running around naked in the backyard and Andrew was like mom I mean, what if one of them poops or something? I'm like, well, you know, then they poop. Well, we'll just wash them up. Well, sure enough. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> one, of them, one of them pooped out on the sidewalk. And Andrew is just, he's trying not to hurl. He's just, oh, my God. And I, I couldn't stop laughing. I said, you know what, dude? It's okay. Just get some toilet paper and clean that up and go flush it down the toilet. You mean you want me to clean it up? And I said, it's a life skill, buddy. You know, it's one of those things that you already have been there, done that. When you get married and you have a child that poops out on the patio, you're just going to be like, I've been there, done that. No problem. So, you know, he had that initiation. So I don't really look at my kids as, oh, I need to protect you from all this stuff. It's like you are going to be so good at this that when you have to deal with it all by yourself and I'm not there, you will not be lost because you will have already kind of been down that road and uh yeah those are that's a life of learning experience that he probably would have rather skipped yeah (laughs) it's 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 uh it's gonna stand him in good stead when he's 29 and finally gets married cleaning up his kids poop exactly (laughs) no and i love what you're saying about how sometimes especially in this day and age and i'm sure you've seen the transformation from your own kids now down to the kids you know that are younger now the difference in entitlement and parents wanting to make life easier for their kids and giving them a way out and kind of cushioning every little step and every new experience and every emotion and every feeling. and But really, that doesn't serve them very well. I mean, life is going to throw you poop in the backyard and life's going to throw you, you know, all t- kinds of twists and turns and dealing with hospice babies maybe and cushioning our kids and not getting them to kind of step up to those real life emotions and real life circumstances, we're really not doing them any services. And I love what you're doing with your kids and realizing you may not always like this, but you get to do this and it will make you better. I love that. One of the times that one of the babies had pooped up his back and it was all over (laughs) his outfit. And Mary Elizabeth discovered that and she's 19 now and I said, all right, I just want you to know, and I say this with some seriousness, I could step in here and say, oh, don't worry about it, sweetheart. I'll take care of it. But you're going to, you know, someday have your own child. And so right now, I'm right here. You know, if you need me to help you walk through, you know, tuck that shirt up and then and try and roll it up so that when you pull it over his afro, you're not rubbing poop all the way through his hair. But this is a good thing right now for you to do this. I know it stinks, but I'm right here. Literally, yeah. <laughs> if you need a hand, mm-hmm. but 
you being able to do this, you are going to thank me someday that I didn't always swoop in and save you from these stinky things and say, oh, don't worry about it. You know, you're only 19 or you're only, right. you're only 15 or whatever. It's like, you know what, being, this is, this is such a basic life thing that you don't need to be in tears not knowing what to do when you've just had your own child and they're covered in poop because it's going to happen. Right. And you've never had to deal with this before. There are some things that, you know what, I don't want my children to have to deal with. And I don't purposely put them in the way, but most of these things that we deal with with having these little ones here or even death, okay, so that's, sure. let's just dial it right down to that. Right. We're done with the poopy diapers. We are dealing with death. People die all the time, and you can so insulate yourself or isolate yourself that you don't grapple with it. But I don't want my children living their life totally afraid of that dying process, that they are shattered by it when it starts hitting closer to home. How did you help them to learn to accept that process? And they get attached to these babies, and they... They loved Emmeline, and they're sitting at her funeral. How did you help them to process that, especially when they were younger? One of the things um, I think that made a difference was, and not in any way patting myself on the back, but my confidence factor that what we were doing with Emmeline was a good thing Mm -hmm. and that we could have decided no, we don't want to do this. We don't want that heartache. We're not taking her home. Mm. And she could have died, taken out the back door in a body bag, never having a name. Is that what we want? Mm. No, that's not what we want. We wanted her chosen. We want her carried out the front door and we wanted her to have a name. She was known and she's loved and she's missed. And we chose that. The fact that she was going to die was something we had no control over. But whether or not she actually was able to live before she died was something that we had some say-so in. And that. that is something that I firmly believed and that the kids will, you know, echo now. And none of this is, it's, it's really not lighthearted, the decision to bring any child into our home is not just based on, oh, well, this will be fun. Because, you know, the fun factor wears off in about 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And you've got to have something a whole lot more steady underneath in order to be able to deal with the day in, day out, and how close to death Charlie can get when he's his trach is obstructed and he's, you know, got too many secretions, whatever. Uh, we grapple with the fact that he could be here quite a while yet or that he could die today. And, um, so you make the choice, all right, death is going to happen. His days are numbered. What do you have some control over in the, in the meantime? And I was, when Emmeline passed away, it was not, she was in my arms. I was sitting at the dining room table and it was just after midnight and, um, it was charity's night to stay with her in the living room and she would lay on the couch and Emmeline would sit in the little recliner next to her. So it was her night, but she just wasn't, she was off. And I knew that it was, it was getting close. Um, but I didn't know how close. 
and so everybody kind of had gone off to bed by 11.30, and Charity went to lay down on the couch, and I was sitting at the dining room table with Emmeline, all of her clothes off except for her diaper, and my clothes were off except for my big furry bathrobe, and I just had her tucked in against my chest uh, because she was cold, and uh, that was because her body was shutting down, but I didn't want her to be uncomfortably uncomfortable that way, so that was the warmest place that I could think of with that whole kangaroo care thing that I'd done working in OB. Mm-hmm. And um, so she had her head between my breasts with her ear next to my heart and her legs, you know, her, uh, her tummy was against mine and her legs were all around my ribs and there just was no way that we could have gotten any closer at that point in time. And she just slowly stopped breathing and then she was gone. And uh, I started sobbing and I tried to hear, but the blood was pounding in my ears. And so Charity heard the change in my breathing and came in and said, you know, is she gone? And I said, I don't, I don't know. I can't hear. So she took my stethoscope and put it on her chest and said, I can't hear anything either. And then she started crying and she's like, well, what do we do now? And as quickly as that storm of weeping had come over me, it was like, okay, we're going to be fine. We are going to be fine. We did what we came to do. This baby was loved all the way through, and she was not alone. She was not afraid, and she was not in pain. So Charity went upstairs and got her sisters and my husband and went downstairs and got Andrew. And, you know, there was crying, but there was no, like, weeping and wailing and everybody, you know, just hysterical. I mean, it was just, it was sad for us. It was great. Emmeline was perfect, so it's not that we'd want to snatch her back or anything, but, you know, there's still grief on our part, but we sat there for, like, the next three hours while the hospice nurse came and the coroner came, and um, and they were holding her, and I finally said, hey, you know what, can I hold her a minute? <laughs> because <laughs> can I have my girl back? Were, yeah. Yeah, they were holding her and her knuckles. You know how babies don't have knuckles? They just have little dimples there. And so they were holding her hand and stroking over those dimples. And and they were talking and they were picking out songs for the funeral. And it was just the social worker came over to me and she said, this is how it should be. It's not that we weren't crying, but everybody was not losing it and angry and throwing things or you knew it was it just it was it was a good if anything if a death can be good it was it was good and um so it's not that it wasn't sad but I would charity would be one of the first ones to tell you that you know with my being sick and everything we were in survival mode for so long and having Emma Lynn did not mean that our house was dark and we were all sitting around singing kumbaya and it was just miserable no the lights were on and the music was playing and we just rallied around and she brought life back into our home again and it just, there was just such a purposefulness and it got us out of our funk of, you know, just being so dwelling so inward and that was exactly what was needed to kind of snap us back into, hello, you know what, there, there is a purpose and there mm-hmm. is a, a reason why I was not taken and mm-hmm. um, we were able in a small way to make the difference between that baby just dying set in the cradle off to the side with a feeding pump. She didn't even have to be held while she was fed um, at the hospital and having life 
Mm. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that very personal story. And I know there are people listening who have suffered their own losses of their own babies. And I'm sure that rings really true and brings back a lot of emotions for them. And, you know, we can't, Yeah, it's hard to get to that place where you can just accept death. It really brings into perspective why we're all here, doesn't it? Yeah. Wow. Well, I could talk to you forever, and we haven't even gotten to talk about Charlie, but I know that you have to probably get back to him, too. But the thing I love about you is that I'm going to link to everywhere that I can find you online, the YouTube videos, the Today Show, and show more about um, your story, because it's so remarkable. How many kids would you say you've had come in and out of your home in the last little bit since you've been fostering and adopting? Uh, well, like I said, I have eight biological. I have two that are married and another one um, who's in process <laughs> of, of making that more final. So, you know, I've got in-laws that are kids, and then we have brought in another um, six, seven, whatever. Yeah. I, sometimes I lose track. Yeah. You know, we've just had several kids since then. The triplets went home uh, with their mom, and we have a 13-year-old right now that yeah. we are – working towards bringing him home in a couple of weeks. Wow. You're amazing, Corey. And I know that your training in hospice care and in nursing and everything definitely was preparatory to, to this second calling in your life. And after a time where it could have been so defeating, you know, after having your health issues and everything and feeling like, well, what do I do now? You know, and feeling like, what is my right. real purpose anymore? Gosh, to have this second wind and second life and have it be so restorative to your health and to your soul and to your whole family. What an amazing journey. I mean, it just shows me like you never know what's around the corner, huh? No, you don't. And I actually, like last week, um, I wrote a thank you note to one of the surgeons who performed one of the surgeries that left me gimped. Mm. And Mm. I said, thank you. Because you know what? You needed to do what you did in order to be able to relieve some horrible pain that I was in. And no, we didn't want the outcome, you know, of being damaged forever. But you did what you needed to do in the time, and I'm grateful for it. And I said, and I wasn't always grateful that you left me gimped, but I would not be doing what I was doing right now. Right. And I would not have been it to, you know, because if I was able to work, see, that's the thing. If I can be busy, oh, yeah, mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm busy. And, and a great deal of my health has been restored. I mean, I'm, I'm doing, oh, my goodness, you know, wow. fantastic compared to what I was. However, there's no undoing the damage from these surgeries. Sure. But being gimped there does not mean that I had always associated, and this was my bad, disabled with being useless and that's bull Mm. i am clinically or medically disabled but i am not useless instead it's just my energies are channeled in a different direction than than what it was it's like okay this is what i've got what can i do with what i have instead of whining or lamenting over what it is that i've lost it's like what have you got yet and 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 do this and like you know for this 13 year old he does not have to live at the hospital and i don't know how long he's going to live but he's terminal and i know he's been passed by by a number of other people who you know oh yeah i'd like to do this but and at first i was thinking you know how tragic that he's not wanted is 
he's, it's not that he's not wanted. He's been waiting for us. And wow. we just weren't in a position until now to be able to bring him home. Right. And we, and, and we weren't supposed to miss him. So mm-hmm. he's right where he needs to be right now in order to be able to come by us. And, and it can take my breath away over how sad it is that Charlie's in the shape that he's in or that T-Bear, as we call him now, because I was calling him Teddy Bear. And Mark's like, you know, he's 13. He's not a baby. So we'll call him T-Bear, all right? That sounds much more manly. I'm like, all right, you know what? We can deal with that. Yeah. So, you know, I cannot change T-Bear's prognosis and diagnosis. But what can I do? And and that's what I look at. It's like, what can I do? Instead of whining about what I can't, let's what can I do? And God knows, you know what? This little boy hopefully is going to come home and uh, we're looking at getting a, a van because, you know, I can't lift him. I can still lift Charlie yeah. in his wheelchair, but I can't lift this T-Bear guy. Um, so getting a van in order to be able to take him places and a wheelchair so I can take him outside because it's going to warm up in Wisconsin. You know, spring usually comes by June, but it's something <laughs> that I want to take him outside and let him have some sunshine. He doesn't have to live in a hospital bed. And... Wow. On some level, this buddy is going to know that he's taken care of, whether or not he is consciously able to relate to his environment or not. Somewhere deep inside him, something is still living, and that that makes it all with it. He's never going to smile at us. Charlie is never going to smile at me. Eyes are never going to light up. And so we don't go into this because, oh, you know, we just get so much back from them. No, this is such a great way to live out for Mm -hmm. my kids who are normal. This is what unconditional love looks like. We're not getting anything back. These kids are not going to get out of bed and get a job and support us in our old age. They just have to receive. They can't give. But it is good to give Mm -hmm. and not have your hand out to get anything back. Yeah. Wow, what what a great life lesson, especially when it usually takes people until they're much older to learn that, but to have your children see that role modeled by you, but then also to live that out themselves from a young age. I can't imagine what your kids are going to do in the world with that type of perspective. I think that is I just beautiful. want them to be able to be what they need to be for the people yeah. that come across their path. I'm not, you know, expecting that, oh, wow, you're, you're going to go out and you're going to, the crazy thing is, is I had a girlfriend who told me, Corey, you know what? I cannot see you staying home with one baby. I just, and, and it hurt. And, and to be fair, you know, she just said, I just think that your gifts can't just be, you know, you're, I can't see you doing laundry and dishes and taking care of one kid at home. And I told her, I said, but I'm willing to do that mm. if that's what I, I'm supposed to do. And I take care of Charlie. And the crazy thing is that Sheboygan Press article, we didn't think anybody in Sheboygan was going to read it. <laughs> so the fact that it went viral was uh, just crazy. And then today goes viral. Right. And, you know, people, 90 million by the time they get oh done with the leadership. Gosh. Charlie has never spoken a word. Wow. And my, my willingness, I, I, I just I can't stress that enough, my willingness to be faithful, to take care of one baby, was good was enough that was enough yeah I was never set out to impact the world or or to you know make a difference there no my primary goal and I always zero it back to that it's like you know what if all of this media if all of that went away I am not lost because you know what I'm still I still have Charlie 
yeah. <laughs> I can still just do what I do. And I, you know, it hasn't really changed us at all. You know, we still do our own laundry and dishes and, and uh, uh, you know, cooking and cleaning. It just hasn't made that big of a difference. People know what we're doing. And what my hope is, is that they see this and go, you know what, I may not be able to take care of a hospice kiddo, but I can, I can step up and some foster child... I can be willing to have my heart broken so that their hearts being broken is not being born all by themselves. Yeah. Wow. That is, oh, you just said it so perfectly. That's it. That is the message. That's amazing. I know that you always gravitated in your nursing to the moms that were dealing with loss or potential loss, and you didn't shy away from those cases. I want to know, what would you tell those moms that were facing that impending grief because as an outsider seeing my friends go through loss and things it's hard to know what to say and so sometimes we say nothing and I think that's definitely the wrong thing but what would you tell them kind of in that grief oh I just I want you to know that I never ever waded into a room and that kind of pain with a sense of oh hey you know what I'm here I'll save you. Yeah. Um, okay. It, there was no cockiness about it. It was just a matter of, you know what, somebody needs to stay. Somebody needs to be there. And not everybody is able to do that. So not to have false expectations that everyone should be, you know, kind of knocking at the door saying, what can I do? And, and for the most part, I'm not really good at that when I'm really hurting. Mm. Uh, there's just a few people that I really want to have close. It's just annoying to have to try and comfort other people who are like grieving sure. more than I am. Sure. Um, so it was, especially with the, the baby loss, it was a matter of, you know what, can we create some good memories? Because we can't change the fact that there's going to be sad ones. I just want to get out of this situation, if at all possible, that it's not all tragic. Mm. I know I cannot change the fact that it's sad and that it's terrible, but maybe there will be a few things, like a few pictures or a few memories made um, that will be good ones, that Emmeline's dying and her dying in my arms was a painful gift. And painful was all in caps for a little while. And then it changed to just the gift was in capital letters and mm. painful. Painful is still there. I, you know, I'm not kidding anybody by saying, oh, you know, it was just amazing. It was just a gift. No, it was a very painful gift. And I could have avoided all of that pain by pulling away. But I would have missed all of the joy that was involved in her life. And so with my moms and these families, when their babies are going to pass away, it's like, you know what? You can pull away to try and spare yourself some pain, but then you might just end up with regret. Mm. So, mm. Uh, you know, make those, make those memories, have those pictures taken, you know, pick out the outfit, um, have a funeral. You know, I had one pastor who told, friends of mine who said you know nobody knows this baby so I don't know that there's really much point in having a funeral the funeral's really you know for the baby yes but it's for the family that's left and standing there and you know they need the they need the support and they need the recognition that someone they love has died now that someone they love might only be 18 weeks gestation or 18 months old but someone has still died there Mm -hmm. is still grief and it's valid, <laughs> yeah. but it's not measured by how long you knew them or how long they lived. So just to say, yeah. you know what, 
someone has died, your grief is valid. What you're feeling is worth recognizing. Let's let's uh, let's celebrate that there was a life, and not just grieve that it's over. Mm. One of my friends lost a baby after several. Well, he was born very prematurely, and then several weeks in the NICU, and then passed away. And she said no one really asked about him. It's, and they, people would say that they were sorry and things, but nobody asked about him. And then one friend did come up and say, "Tell me about Leo." Yes, you yes. know, and recognizing well, that like, life. Did he have grandma's nose? You know, I mean, did sure. he have dad's feet? Sure, you know, because he was Tell there. He was there. Yeah, yes. I love yes. that. Oh, Corey, you. Oh, I just have chills this whole time. I just think you're so amazing. I always ask my guests one final question, Corey, and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self before all of this journey? (laughs) It goes so fast. Mm. Just don't wish the days away. Don't wish the mess away. You know, see, see the child and be content in what it is that you have that day. And if you don't necessarily like your home, what can you do about it? You know, I mean, maybe you can't make it bigger, but can you change your space so that it's not as cluttered and, you know, that'll decrease some of your stress. Just look at what it is that you, you can do instead of what it is that's impossible and then go with it. But I'm looking at a picture right now of, of a number of my girls that are taken with their dad at a father daughter ball. I have all these adult children that were just little once upon a time and I was so busy just trying to get through the days and one friend of mine said oh you know what I have to laugh because you think you're busy now and you only have five you know we remember when we only had 11 (laughs) I do not know what it would be like to have 11 having five is totally kicking my butt but um the the just don't get so busy wishing your life away that it would be quieter or that it would be less noisy or less messy that you you miss your kids they're only here for a little while and they're gone mm-hmm. yep you only get this this moment one time that's it yep. Corey, thank you thank you for taking the time to share i hope this will inspire and perhaps create a little spark in people to not only think well maybe foster cares for me but maybe it's just whatever it is that's using their time and their talents and their season of life to make somebody else's life a little better and realizing it's not about doing the big things that might get recognition. It's about impacting the people right around you that need you. And I love that. Corey, you're an extraordinary mom. Thank you. Thank you for talking with me today. I think you're amazing. Thank you, Jessica. You're awesome. Have the best day. All right. Bye-bye. Usually I record this outro right after, but I had to take a minute just because that story, Corey is amazing. And it's not because she is doing something now that's getting lots of recognition, like we said. Yes, the Sheboygan News did an article. Yes, the Today Show did a thing and it went viral. Yes, she's now widely known for her medical fostering. Yes, she is known for how her family operates and what they're doing. But she went out of her comfort zone to reach one child and then to make a difference in another child's life and then to care for another child. And now she's seeing Charlie's life through to the very end, regardless of how long that is. 
We can do that same thing, moms. <laughs> I can do that same thing in my home. You can do that same thing in your home. Think of what you can do to make this world better, to make the people around you's lives better. And you start by touching the one. And it does have a ripple effect. It does. I love what she said about creating the good memories. And even in a tragic situation, remembering and searching for creating those special moments. For anybody that's experienced loss, I know you know what she was talking about. I can't fathom that kind of loss from where I stand. But I have the utmost love and compassion for you. I think the worst thing that you can ever imagine is losing a child. But the way that Corey framed it really gave me a lot of, I don't know, perspective on that. Of how we can view our life, our children's lives, and just realize that any days that we are given can be used for good and can be meaningful. And when our days are numbered and when our days are up, yes, there's a loss. And yes, that is tragic. But there can still be those moments in the present where you're soaking in that baby smell and you are holding them and you are loving them to the last breath. I know some of you know what I'm talking about. So thanks. Sorry. <laughs> thanks for tuning into the podcast today. I know you want to know more about Corey. Um, I will link to everything on the ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com page. I'll link to the Today Show article, videos on YouTube. You can learn more about her little boy, Charlie, that's in her home right this second that she's caring for, who just had his second birthday. And um, I want you to I want you to, to search more out about her because she will just make your life better knowing about her will truly give you the perspective that you might need today. I know that it really made my life better. Um, also, you can follow me on Instagram. This seems totally trivial in light of this episode, but you can follow me on Instagram at JessicaDahlquist3 and on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I would love it if you would share this. Um, there might be a mom today that needs a little perspective or dose of hope or some encouragement my circle is small, but I know that the ripple effect of putting this story out there into the world as it gets shared and shared and shared among all of you and all of your friends and all of your family, I know that it can can really make an impact. And so if there is an episode that really stands out to you, if this is one of those episodes, I ask that you just share it. Share it with a friend, share it with a family member who might benefit from this story. And it would mean so much to me to get this word out. And in addition, finding this podcast, they might resonate with other episodes too. So I really appreciate when you share it and when you leave ratings and reviews. It helps other moms who might be needing that that boost of inspiration to find the podcast. So thanks so, so much. Whew. You guys are the best. I'm going to go hug my baby. You do the same. Thanks for tuning into the Extraordinary Moms podcast. I'll see you next Tuesday for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Have a great day, everybody.